In this episode, David and I will discuss the importance of understanding the Old Testament in relation to the story of God's kingdom. We will also discuss his study methods, whether he's preaching in the Old Testament or the New Testament. I'm your host, Aaron Miller, pastor of equipping at Grace Baptist Church in Santa Clarita, California. Welcome to Magnify. sitting on the couch a year ago and my wife said, I'm going to get up and get some E. I said, E, either cheese or tea. I said, tea? She goes, no, cheese. But I miss the ch and the s on both ends. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't hear it. Right. Like when I don't have my hearing aids working, I can't hear myself walking downstairs. Really? Yeah. Cause you know, you hear yourself. So do you just feel like you're constantly underwater? No, it's better than that. It's not underwater. It it doesn't. This one feels plugged, but I'm used to it. That would be disorienting to me. It was great, actually. Like yeah. when uh, when I study at home, I don't put my ears in. But if I'm walking down the stairs and I expect that the sound gives me an awareness, and I don't have that, yeah. Well, it 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 was weird for the first day or two, but you get used. You get used to and it. then you turn your ears on, and you can. And you're good to go. And depending on the setting, I have them on. I can either hear it, or I can hear. Nice cup. Nice cup you have there, by the way. I have you to thank for this. I think this is one of four coffee mugs I have. Yes. I've, but I've, this one you actually did give to me. The I others did. I took. I know. Yeah. I know. Well, Cam is back and he's extremely jet lagged. So if I take a glance over in the corner and you're slumped over drooling, we're going to throw something at you. It's okay. Sarah's here. Sarah. We're fine. Throw something at Cam. Dave, don't you want to know what we're going to talk about today? I hope I already know. I hope you do too. I've been studiously... Studying. <laughs> yeah. I'd say you have been on this one. Yeah. Generally, I want to talk about the Old Testament. Good. Specifically, I want to talk about King David. Yeah. So let's just start with the Old Testament. Right. Because, you know, I, I once taught one of your, it was your New Testament class uh -huh. I taught. And I so I, okay. I, I learned a few things from your notes that were very helpful. I think when I, it was the book of Revelation and you had in an outline form for the first 20 years of life, you're being silly when you said this, I know, but for the first 20 years of life, you only should read the Old Testament. For then the next 10 years after that, only the New Testament. And, <laughs> and that puts you, you know, in your 30s and 40s, that's when you start reading the book of Revelation. Right. But going back to the Old Testament, the reason you had said that is because Revelation is going to draw upon and assume upon that the reader has an established foundation that's very present in the Old and New Testament, and it builds on each other. So why is the Old Testament important for a Christian? If we're people of the New Covenant, right? Because I yeah. do know believers, I know pastors, yeah. like they will only preach through the New Testament on a Sunday morning. It's not that they don't think the Old Testament is scripture, isn't scripture. They, they think it's scripture, but on a, on a Sunday morning, they're going to be leaning more towards New Testament. So there's all sorts of reasons for that, but just generally, why should we view the Old Testament the way that we do? Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons a lot of preachers, especially coming out of seminary, prefer the New Testament is because the New Testament it comes from a Greek mind, and the Greek mind and the Western mind are very much the same. Mm -hmm. Especially, the, you'll find people preaching a lot of Paul because 
he argues in a Western mindset. Problem, thesis, proof, 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 conclusion, all that. And so when you get into the Old Testament, you have really a, a Hebrew mindset that is much more narrative and it's not really a journalistic narrative. Mm-hmm. It's more of a legacy narrative that gives you the backstory all the time. A lot of times as Westerners read the Old Testament, we keep saying, look, just tell me what you want me to know. Right. We're right. very Don't, linear. Yeah. Right. right. Cause very and effect. Linear. Right. But the story of the Bible, the story of God, if we want to even become more specific, the story of God's kingdom is told beginning in Genesis where God creates everything good and then sin comes in and suddenly everything is corrupt. And then in Genesis 3.15, it said, but I'm not, God said, really, I'm not going to let sin win. I'm going to send the seed of the woman, he. And that's the, the first nuanced understanding we get of what we later come to understand is the whole story of redemption, not just of mankind, but of all creation. And so it's told throughout the Old Testament. We, we, we search for the he. When I taught Old Testament survey, that was my theme. Mm-hmm. Okay, who's the he? And little by little, we find out. And we see nuances of it. We see, you know, Abraham sacrificing Isaac, and then God stops him and said, no, I'll provide for myself a lamb. Mm-hmm. And then we see the law come along and say, there's going to be this lamb that's sacrificed that, that covers sin in, a, in kind of a sort of way. But it's not until we get to the New Testament that we fully understand that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So really, if, if you like mysteries, if you like the unfolding, progressive revealing of a, of a gigantic story, mm-hmm. uh, for instance, if you love Tolkien, mm-hmm. if you love Harry Potter, you should love the Old Testament, but mm-hmm. it's harder. You have to work at it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... I love the Old Testament because it's a mystery and we are searching for clues as to who the he is. And we get to Isaiah and we find out virgin born. We get to Isaiah 9 and we find that he's going to be on the throne of his father, David. Yeah. And, and you know, by that time, David has been dead a long time. Right. So all along the way, you have these, these theological detours Right. That you're not sure why we're doing this. We're not sure why we're talking about King Saul in first and second in first Samuel and then suddenly David. And why did Ruth get stuck in there? And then finally yeah. we feel I realize, oh. Well then how would you understand application in the Old Testament? Yeah, it, that's more difficult. Yeah. Okay. It's much more difficult in the New Testament. Well, I would say the Gospels are somewhat like an Old Testament. Sure, sure. You hear the parables, the and for the most part, Jesus doesn't explain them. Okay? Right. We're supposed to get it. And so we have to go back into that culture and understand the words the way that the author meant them to be understood so that we begin to think in patterns that align with the way the audience, the original audience was thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what we're going to try and do in the life of David. Do you need the New Testament in order to understand the Old Testament? Yeah, I I, I think it was B.B. Warfield, I believe, is the one who said, the great Princeton theologian of yesteryear. Mm. He said something like, in the Old Testament, the New Testament is concealed. In the New Testament, the Old Testament is revealed. 
And he also, I think, was the one who used the illustration, maybe somebody else, somebody can look it up, that everything that the New Testament talks about is already in the Old Testament, but the Old Testament is a really, really dark room. Mm, Yeah. The New Testament turns the light on and shines it on the Old Testament, and suddenly we see it. So, for instance, we go to Psalm 22, 23. We see those as messianic. Yeah. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 22 is all about the cross. You know, it talks about they parted my garments and drew lots. My mouth cleaves to my lips. I'm so thirsty. They pierced my hands and my feet. Right. Psalm 22. Right. And, but yet when we get to the, the cross narratives in the gospels, we say, wow. Sure. So when Jesus is on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's actually the first line in Psalm 22. Yeah, he's, he's preaching. He's right. not saying God has forsaken me. He's sending them back to something now that the light has been turned on that they can understand. So, so much of the Old Testament is that way. So w- then what would be an improper use or a way of application in the Old Testament? Well, this is controversial. Okay. And it's tricky because we always want to believe that the beginning place of meaning is what did the original author intend the original readers to understand from the words that he used. But the New Testament comes along, and we find sometimes that the New Testament writers use the Old Testament in a way we would not have considered. Correct. Okay. For instance, Psalm 22. Right. Right. Obviously, whoever wrote Psalm 22, I think it was David actually, when he was writing it, he had in mind something that was very real and understandable to those he, he wanted to sing the song. Now, commentators would say, and I would agree with them, that you have a sense in which the Spirit allows him to talk better than he knows. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, yeah. And we have to be careful here because there is a, there is a hermeneutical philosophy or doctrine or whatever you want to call it called sensuous plenor, mm-hmm. in which there is a, a deeper sense than the literal sense. Origen got in trouble for that because yeah. he said there were four different senses and then he could right. spiritualize and metaphoricalize. Is that a word? I don't know. Well, he had no use for the Old Testament. No, he mm-hmm. didn't. And we can't go there. We won't go there. We believe the Old Testament is God's word. And so much of the Old Testament is used in the New Testament. Yeah. So our getting back to Sanchez Plenor, if there is such a thing, and there probably is, we only know it when the New Testament, the Spirit-inspired, the God-breathed-out New Testament, is now being our commentary on the God-breathed-out Old Testament. And that's, it's a very important that, that we not go off of that pathway. So Christians should read the Old Testament with the new in mind. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All the way there. Yeah. 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 Right. I know that you've been spending a lot of time studying King David yeah. during your sabbatical. Yeah. And uh, just, I want to open up kind of what that has opened up for you. You know, I know you've preached in the Old, Old Testament. I don't know how often you've preached through the life of King David or how familiar you were before you began your deep dive into his life. And Well, you know, I've read the Bible a lot, so have you. Quite frankly, the stories in First and Second Samuel are the kinds of stories that every third grade boy wants to hear. Right. You know, <laughs> it's heroes, it's villains, it's murder and war and treachery. There's... You know, they always, we always skipped in uh, Sunday school, you always skipped the Bathsheba story. 
<laughs> but it's all there. Yeah, it sounds there. very much like today. Yep. And so uh, I've often, I've read First and Second Samuel a lot, I, but in studying it, you realize what a transition is happening. So God brings about the nation of Israel, you know, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's 12 sons. We see all that uh, in Genesis. Then in Exodus, they are brought out of slavery and uh, they're a mess, quite frankly. We have one man, we have Moses. They rebel against him. They mock him. He has a horrible time with these people, but he finally gets them to the plains of Moab after 40 years of wandering. And Joshua takes them in. And uh, we begin the, the period of what's known as the judges mm. over 300, like 339 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, just think about that. Uh, our, we think our country is so old. Right. I, I do remember my second trip to Israel. I was walking along, and our guide's name was Ze'ev, which means the wolf in Hebrew. And That's he was cool. a grizzled old war veteran. And mm. we're walking alongside this really old wall made out of rocks. And I go, Ze'ev, how old is this? He goes, there's nothing. It's only 400 years old. <laughs> and I'm going, you know, we just celebrated the right. bicentennial of our nation. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So. Anyway, you, you have 330-some years of the Judges, and it's a mess. The book of Judges has, in a couple of places, there was no king. Everybody did what's right in their own eyes. They were a loosely knit group of clans and families and tribes, no centralized government, no nothing. And, and they were at the mercy of all these marauding you know, entities, the Philistines, the Moabites, all of these that God used as his spanking spoon every time the people forgot him. And finally they wake up and they go, wait a minute, we want a king. Mm-hmm. And so they want a king like the nations have. And through Samuel, God warns them, you don't want that kind of king. You don't right. want a king like the nations have. They're going to take your sons to be his servants and his warriors. They're going to take your lands. They're going to take your daughters to serve him in the kitchen and other ways. And so what you're saying is God always intended to give Israel a king. Oh, yeah. He talked about it. Right. He said, when you have a king, don't let him be this. Don't let him have multiple wives, for example. Right, don't right, let him right. do this. And they said, no, we, we want a king. And so there's a Psalm uh, 100 and six, I think it is. It says he gave them what he want, what they wanted. And he sent a wasting disease to their souls. Mm. We ought to be careful. Often God gives a country, the government, it actually wants Mm -hmm. and it ruins them. And so you see the transition from the judges to Samuel. He's the last judge. Then he anoints the first King. And that's a huge transition. Mm -hmm. Because Saul's not from the tribe of Judah. And Genesis 49 says the king would, should come from Judah. Mm-hmm. And so we see what happens when a, a group of people want a certain kind of king and it's not God's king. So then there's this major transition to David. And then we follow this, this dual kingship because Saul doesn't step down even after David is anointed. That's right. And this is where the Sunday school curriculum messes us up. Because we all grew up going, David, King David, especially me. It's my name, right? Sure. King David. <laughs> and uh, he's, he kills Goliath. And sometimes you have pastors who have preached the Goliath story as, you can kill the giants in your life with five smooth stones, integrity, honesty, Bible, you know. Sure. And so the great 
one of the great challenges that's ahead of you and I and the others who are going to preach in this series is how do we bring the story of David to today's you know, audience in a way that whoever wrote first and second Samuel, if they were sitting in the, in the chair listening, would say, yes, that's what God wants. Right. That's the struggle. Hey, everybody. If you're new to Grace, we would love to meet you. You can plan your next visit on our website. There will be a form for you to fill out that will be sent to a member of our Connections team so they know which service and what Sunday you will be attending. When you come, someone will meet you at the Engage Center located between the red welcome columns on the patio. Just go to gracebaptist.org slash plan your visit to get started. Hope to see you soon. So when it comes to then, and I kind of already asked this question when it came just the Old Testament broadly, when it comes to applying uh, the life of King David and what you learn about him, how would you go about understanding how your life should follow any sort of instruction there? Yeah, I mean, the basic overall theme of David is he is the best a man can be, and he can't give what only God can give. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean yeah, he's the great right. king. Yeah. He's the best king. He's the most powerful king. He's probably uh, the most godly king. And at times, he makes decisions that are ruinous to his own soul and to his people. And if you're reading the Old Testament the way that I think originally the Old Testament should have been read— People should be hoping in a messianic figure. Right. And they think, hey, this might be the one. And and you could start with Noah on that. Sure. Right? Exactly. Uh, actually with Cain, because when Cain is born, he's the first seed of the woman. Right. And his name really means the gotten one. I've gotten this one with right. the help of the Lord. Then when Abel comes along, his name actually means the you know, kind of the superfluous one. Why do I have another one when I already have the seed of the woman? And then we find out that neither one of them is the he. Right. And then Noah. I mean, wow, Noah's the one through whom the the world is cleansed. Right. And it's a new, there's a recreated creation. We're starting over. But uh-oh. There's sin on the ark. Totally. So it didn't, we, he's not, I like to say, he's not the savior. He needs a savior. He ends up a drunk and bad things happen. Like <laughs> Abraham, <laughs> Abraham. No, he's not the guy. He lies about his wife, blah, blah, blah. You have a hope in Joseph. Yeah, you do. But then he dies. Yeah, right. And so you're just up and down, up and down with expectation. But you think David, like finally David, because now he's a king. You know, Moses wasn't a king. I mean, he was, but not really, yeah. right? You have, Joseph was, the, the before the judges, he would have been monarchical, you know, certainly King David, but then. Especially because in 1 Samuel 13, God says, you know what, I, I'm going to look out for a man whose heart is after me. Hmm. Okay? And then in, in chapter 16. What, what does that mean, Dave? Yeah, well, I mean, there have been lots of cutesy. Well, let me start with what we know it doesn't mean. Okay. It doesn't mean that he never makes mistakes. Right. So it probably means uh, it's a man that I would choose, God says, not a man the nations would choose. And the reason God would choose him Uh is because he is a man who has faith in God. He thinks, he understands who God is. He wants to please God, just like you and I do. But we are also still beset with selfish, sinful flesh. 
David was too. Now, David had some advantages, and we have to we can take some time to figure out what it meant that the Spirit of God rushed on him and stayed on him. Yeah. But it, it, it wasn't the same ministry that we now have with the indwelling Spirit, but it was an indwelling expression of God's Spirit. But Saul had that as well until it left. I think I'm quoting Chuck Swindoll correctly. Tell me what you think about this. So that a mark of being a man after God's own heart— he, he he was characterizing this in King David, was that as soon as he was confronted with his sin, he hit the ground in repentance. Right. And that's a picture, isn't it, of the work of the Spirit. We know that repentance, right. according to um, Paul's letter to Timothy, is a gift of God. Lest yeah. he should grant them repentance, First Timothy uh, 2, 26 or 25. Yeah. It's a mark of faith. It, it, it is. It's a mark of faith. And so the way I've taught it before in Old Testament survey is the direction of, of David's heart was always back to God, not away from God. Hmm. He would go away, but then he'd go back to God. What Swindoll would say, you know, that, that, that repentance and deep understanding, uh, you know, Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned and done what was evil in your sight. And then he prays, Lord, renew in me a right spirit, and don't take your spirit from me like you took it from Saul. Saul sinned, God took the spirit away. Yeah. David sinned, but God had already made this amazing covenant in 2 Samuel 7 that you will never lack a descendant to sit on the throne. He, stole, he took the kingdom away from Saul. Mm-hmm. But David, and it wasn't because who David was. Right. It was, it was right. in, in the same way that Noah was just as sinful as everybody else. In Genesis 6, we see that God looks down and every thought of every heart was only evil continually. Including Noah's. Including Noah. Yeah. And that's, for me, that's one of the first examples of sovereign election, that God couldn't wipe everybody out because he'd already made the Genesis 3 promise that I need the seed of the woman to go over this chasm that's going to be the flood so that I can still have a, a human line from which Messiah will come. You get a sense that David interacted with that in the Psalms. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think David knew. Uh, it's kind of like understanding how, when did the you know, elementary school Jesus or junior high Jesus or high school age Jesus, when did he know he was Messiah? Mm-hmm. That's a kind of a theological detour a lot of guys have gone down the messianic consciousness but the question is we could ask about david when did he know well certainly early on you know when he slays goliath and when he begins to understand that god is using him and as wonderful as that would be that was amazing pressure on this man Mm. amazing pressure yeah how was your seminary career (laughs) david was like (laughs) in and out of caves actually yeah exactly exactly i know that when you study and you do sermon preparation and you, well, you perform in the position as our thought leader, right? Uh, you're going I'm through. Trying. You're yeah, and, and you do, and you do a good job. You are you are thinking about the people of Grace Baptist Church. You're thinking about Santa Clarita, the local community in which our church lives. Help us understand some nuggets along the way in this series that you're hoping to surface uh, for us. In, in terms of how we live and how we worship uh, and how we once again discover the foundations of faithfulness 
Because you're thinking about the 21st century going back to this ancient story that's inspired. Right. Right? Right. Can you open us up to your, your thought process, well, process there? Well, uh, there's some ridgeline issues. You and I know I have this thing about you've got things like faith and works, and mm-hmm. if you drop off on either side of the, of the ridgeline in between, you're wrong. And it's not like you need a little faith and a little works. No, you need both of them. So is David a hero or a scoundrel? Yes. Mm-hmm. And we need to learn why he had the courage to do what he did, his great faith. Then we also be very cognizant of the fact that you never get to the place where you are above being tempted. Mm-hmm. And this has great application for, for you know, the rank and file Christ follower. But I, I do understand that there is a sense in which the study of King David is a study of leaders who had better stay humble, who had better stay vigilant. And especially the Bathsheba event where we see David acting as too many leaders do, Mm. thinking that because they occupy such a powerful, wonderful position, they can get by with anything. And I think that's something that uh, even rank and file believers can can say, oh, I've been good. I do this for so often. Uh, You know, I can allow a little sin in my life. Mm -hmm. And so what we find is the incremental onslaught of selfishness and sin can really bring anybody down right. and it ruined David's life. Right. Okay. And the other thing we, you know, we're going to find out that David has uh, all kinds of uh, foibles. Yeah. I mean, the guy had like 13 wives. Yeah. See, this is stuff that the Sunday school curriculum doesn't co- right. cover. So most of us grew up, d- you know, dare to be a Daniel. Yes, please dare to be a Daniel. <laughs> Or be David. Wow, slay the giants. Right. Lead the people. Sure. Also, marry the king's daughter. King David probably couldn't be a member of Grace Baptist Church. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah. I, I don't know how far I'm going to go there, my friend. But uh, I'm just saying, ethically, we do tend to, as you're yes, describing, we focus yes. on those areas yeah. of yeah. nobility and excellence because of God's grace. And it's like, well, yeah, but because of God's grace, look what this guy was like. Abraham, I mean, we could run the gambit, right? And one of the other things that we find when we study David is that we have so much of his own heart in the Psalms. Yeah. Okay. You know, if you study Saul, you really don't, get, there's not a lot of things where you hear him speak. Uh, if you study the other kings, you have some of their pronouncements. But with David, we have this tremendous opportunity in the Psalms that he wrote to kind of hear him detail some of the events, like when he's fleeing uh, from Saul up in the caves of En Gedi. We have a psalm that he writes about that. Right. When he is broken in repentance over his Bathsheba, uh, you know, adultery and murder, we have Psalm, you know, 51, Mm. and we hear his heart. So that's, that's really one of the beauties of... I hope this mm-hmm. series. I have to imagine as you study a figure like King David, it causes it causes Christ to stand even taller in your mind. Yeah, when I when I've taught the prophets, the the minor prophets especially, they're all they all have the same overarching pattern. You're bad, you're bad, you're really really bad. God's mad, he's mad, he's really really mad. Uh, if you don't change, you're going to be sad, sad, really, really sad. But if you do, you'll be glad, glad, really, really glad. And it gets a little monotonous. 
<laughs> I know that uh, some of my Old Testament prof friends are going to not like that. But with David, it's much more complex. Yeah. It's you're really good because God has chosen you. He's set his spirit on you. And then you do some really bad things. And God disciplines you for it. I mean, let's not forget that the baby that was conceived was taken. Mm. And the ups and downs of David's life ought to be a reminder to us that God's actions, God's blessings to us don't always come in the packages we want. Mm-hmm. And we, he is, he's testing us to see how strong our reliance on him will be. Uh, I told the story, I think it was last couple weeks ago, whenever, about a Romanian waiter that I encountered in Boston and asking him about his flight from Romania, had to leave, and how he's, you know, understanding American life. And he says, the problem with you Americans is you, you just really believe that life's always supposed to be good. Mm. That really hit me. Yeah. Because Christians around the world, they understand. In fact, when I was overseas, I was in the slums and there were a number of uh, teenagers who were coming to the church that I was doing a conference at. And uh, they would come to church, they get bussed over, they came to Christ. And as they were going home, they were praying for each other because when they got home, uh, they were going to be beaten mm-hmm. by their parents mm-hmm. for attending that service. And when uh, Jen, one of our global partners, was here, was talking about uh, where she ministers overseas. She was part of a a secret baptism where the man being baptized said, please pray for me. I'm going home to the country he was from. I'm going home to suffer. Hmm. And so I, I hope that as we study David, that we come to understand what it's like that God loves us but does work in our hearts to make us faithful when faithfulness may cost us. Yeah. So we'll see that, I hope. What is one psalm that you have been delighting in? One psalm of David? Oh, yeah. well, I'd have to say 51. I mean, uh, you don't find repentance that clear, that deep, Mm. and that edifying. When he says, against you only I have sinned, he's absolutely right. You know, the consequences of my sin against God may fall on you, on others. For sure. But I'm not sinning against you. Right. Quite frankly, you can't forgive my sin. Right. Yeah. Okay? I can't. Only God can forgive sin. And so David cuts through all of this smokescreen of, I did this, but you know, it wasn't really my fault, my upbringing, my this, my that. You started it. Mm. And David sees every sin as directed at the heart of God. And that's, that's just, a, that's a powerful thing. It is a powerful thing. I mean, we tend to uh, make ourselves and other people larger than they, they should be in our mind's eye. Yeah. And so when it comes to the infliction of sin, Somewhere along the way, we know we're supposed to offer forgiveness towards one another, but ultimately the reason why forgiveness is ours to have in Christ is because we have been forgiven. Right. And you can't recognize that until you recognize that 
that God is the standard himself. And yep. David, David works that out there in the Psalm, Psalm 51. Well, Dave, enjoying this, uh, this having you back, back into the saddle, back into a new series, um, seeing the, the content uh, kind of be massaged into the the congregation through podcasts and other written materials. So it's a blessing. It's going to continue to be a blessing and prayerfully we move forward. Absolutely. Love you, man. Love you too, Aaron. Thanks for doing this. You're a really good host. Man, thank you so much. Because sometimes I don't feel like Cam, wake up. Why are you sleeping? No, I'm joking. Folks, thanks for streaming in. Hopefully you'll be able to join us next time as we sit down with a, a few very special guests. Thanks for streaming. Thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure to subscribe to Magnify Podcast so you never miss an episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. Post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. We would love to hear from you. So if you have any questions you'd like to ask in our mailbag, you can email them to magnify at gracebaptist.org and we will answer them on the show. Thank you so much for streaming.